we have uh, six weeks till Easter. Uh, and um, as we approach Easter, we want to uh, spend some time in the Gospels. And we're going to sort of look at the uh, last sort of few hours before Jesus' crucifixion and then talk about his crucifixion and then his resurrection when we get to, uh, when we get to Resurrection Sunday. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 26. We've been working through the book of Matthew, verse by verse, off and on, for about two, you know, three years, I know it's been a while, but uh, we're going to begin working in that as we uh, approach Easter and spend some time just uh, really looking closely at Jesus. Now to get in, we need to maybe do a bit of a review where we're at leading up to chapter 26. It is uh, Passover time in uh, chapter 26. This is the biggest festival of the uh, year for the Jews. And uh, people would flock into Jerusalem and into the temple. Uh, normally, there's about 30,000 living in the city in that day. But around Passover time, there would be upwards of 180,000 people packed in the city. And, of course, there wouldn't be enough room. So they'd be camped all around the city and up on the Mount of Olives. And that's why uh, Jesus was staying in uh, Bethany, which is about three kilometers away from Jerusalem, up over the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus... Uh, comes from Galilee, that's where he spent most of his ministry. He actually didn't spend a lot of his time in Jerusalem, not really at all, actually. But, and so when he rode in, you remember, he rides in on a donkey. And this fulfills a prophecy that all the Jews knew back in the Old Testament about that the Messiah, their Savior, the one that they put all their hope in, would be coming in riding on a donkey. And Jesus does that. He comes into the city basically proclaiming that he is the Messiah. And then he, he gets into the temple. And because he sees the corruptness of the religious leaders and, and them ripping people off by uh, selling animals and exchanging money at exorbitant rates, he goes and overturns the tables and, and uh, really, of course, ticks off all the religious leaders. He then, in Matthew chapter 23, has a long uh, sort of talk to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy and their pride, and how they were supposed to be people who were actually uh, drawing people to God, but they were actually keeping people away from the God who, who loves people. And then Jesus went on to talk about the destruction of this whole temple, and he went to prophesy that the Romans would come in and, and destroy it, and that happened in 70 AD. He also went on to talk about the kingdom, and so that's where we pick up. We are uh, very close to the crucifixion of Jesus. So it says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. And, and that's the Passover night, the Passover meal, which the whole festival was over a week long. And he says this, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And so we see here that Jesus uh, clearly knew that he was going to be crucified during the, the, during the Passover and he sees this in the future. I mean, Jesus is one who, who knows the future. This is one of the reasons we need to stay close to Jesus. Uh, I mean, if you knew someone who knew your future, who knew everything that you were facing in the next week, I mean, you would be in conversation with that person a lot. And Jesus knows your future. He knows what's happening this afternoon. He knows what's happening tomorrow, a week, a year down the road. And it's why we need to be living and breathing close to Jesus because he knows uh, also, just to point out, I mean, I mean, I put, I usually try to put myself in these scenes, and if I knew I was going to be crucified in two days, I, I probably wouldn't be hanging around. 
I mean, if you knew, like, in two days, like, some thugs were going to come and beat you to death, you'd probably phone the cops or make sure you had some bodyguards around, like Dean and some people from Taekwondo or something, right? Uh, you would do anything you could to make sure you, you didn't die. You would skip town or something like that. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus knows he's going to die, and yet he continues down the path towards death. He doesn't run, though he could have. Uh, you remember when he was arrested and Peter cuts off the, the ear of the servant and, and uh, Peter's saying, we need to get out of here. We need to protect you, Jesus. And Jesus just heals the ear and heals the guy and says, Peter, I could call 70,000 angels at any moment to come and rescue me. And, and he just goes towards his death. And the question is, like, why in the world would he do that? Because I would run, I would hide, I would get help or something. But Jesus knowingly and purposely goes towards his death and dies on a cross. I mean, why would someone do that? It seems crazy that someone would just kind of give up their life like that. And, of course, the answer is found in various places in the Bible. But, uh, for instance, 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That the reason he laid down his life, the reason he went willingly to the cross was because, because of us. Because he, he loves us so dearly and desperately that he wanted to free us from the slavery of sin and, and eternal death and wanted to, to fill, uh, fill us with life and forgiveness and grace and the kingdom. I mean, he did this to us. I mean, the, the, the nails that held him on the cross weren't the physical nails, they were the nails of, of his love for us. And if you're here and you are feeling unloved or uncared for, that your, your family's not loving you the way you should, or your spouse, or you're feeling lonely, let me tell you, there is someone who loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he wants to be for, there for you. He died for you. There's no one who, who loves you that much. And so uh, he purposely went to the cross for you and me. Now, also mentioned here is the Passover. And the Passover was this great festival, but it all points to Jesus. It's not an accident that Jesus was crucified during the Passover festival. In fact, later Paul would say, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. That there was something in the Passover that pointed to Jesus. And this goes back to, of course, the Exodus. Uh, you remember the Exodus story when there was the plagues and the Egyptians, you know, let the Israelites go and all and that whole story. But in Hebrews, it says this about Moses. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the, des the destroyer of the firstborn, this is the destroying angel of the firstborn, would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So in the Passover festival, remember, the destroying angel was going to come through and, and, and destroy all the firstborn children of Egypt. And there was only one way to escape. There's only one way to escape the death of the firstborn was, was to take the blood of the lamb and put it on your, on your doorway. And when the destroying angel came through, when he saw the applied blood on that door, would pass over that house. And that's where the word Passover comes from. And that that person would be saved, would, would not die. And, and Jesus is our Passover lamb. That when we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives, and we receive his forgiveness and grace, that, that in essence... The, the, the eternal death, the separation from God, we, we, he passes over that, and, and we're, we're led into the grace and forgiveness. Also a part of the Exodus was the idea of freedom from slavery. These people have spent 400 years in slavery, and all of a sudden they're free. And Jesus is the one who frees us from slavery. 
from the slavery of sin, the slavery of anxiety and fear and depression and, and all these kind of things that kind of oppress us. But Jesus says, I come to give you life and I've come to give you freedom. And so the Passover was a time when we remember that, that, that we have been passed over, death has passed over us because of Jesus and that we live in freedom, no longer in, in slavery. And so there's a lot of meaning in the Passover. It wasn't an accident that Jesus was crucified during this period. Then it says, then the chief priests, and that was kind of the, the religious honchos of the day, and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. And that's because Jesus was, was gaining popularity, especially among the Galileans, where Jesus spent most of his time. And if they arrested him in public, people would freak out, and there would be a riot, and so they're like, we need to arrest him secretly, and that's why he was arrested, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane when no one else was around. And so they want to kill him because Jesus challenged everything that they stood for. And they stood for, we are the head honchos, we're close to God, we were, you know, they were just, and Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites, you're actually far from God, and that just made them upset. upset. And so they plan to kill Jesus. And then uh, Matthew tells a little story. Now, this story is not in chronological order, by the way. Matthew and some of the gospel, gospel writers aren't always concerned about chrono, uh, chronology the way we are in our day. I mean, we like, this story happened like this, this, or this. A lot of times, the gospel writers put things in thematic positions for the, the theme of the story. And this story actually happens before Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Gospel of John tells us plainly that this happened uh, seven days before the Passover, but G, uh, Matthew puts it here for thematic reasons, because it has to do with, with Judas and, and mo this money issue we'll see. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper. Um, there was no way Jesus could ever be in the home of a leper, or anybody else would be in the home of a leper, because in that day, according to Jewish law, uh, lepers had to uh, hang around themselves. Uh, they couldn't be around other people because they'd make them unclean. And so when a leper even just walked through the streets, they had to kind of keep their head down. They had to call out, unclean, unclean, unclean. I mean, it's a horrible way of life. And being separated from people, never being able to really hug anybody or be near one or have people over in your home. And, and Simon was a leper, and it's probably Jesus healed him. Because all of a sudden, Simon the leper is having a party in his home, probably in celebration of his healing and what Jesus did in his life. And, and, and Jesus does this stuff. Jesus is a healing God. I mean, th there are millions of stories across this world of people being healed physically and emotionally. And, and I mean, he does that. In fact, just last Sunday, there was someone here who came up for prayer and was healed physically. I mean, Jesus still does this stuff. That's why you should be coming up for prayer if, if you need healing or you need emotional healing. I mean, uh, prayer works. God does stuff. And there's been numerous people in this, in this church and people we know of who've been physically healed by Jesus. This is not just stuff 2,000 years ago, but it is a reality today. And so most likely Jesus healed uh, Simon the leper here. And it says, A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, and she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. And we've seen this numerous times. That they didn't eat, you know, sitting up. They kind of, kind of like, uh, lie down and eat dinner. I don't know why they did it that way. It seems difficult and messy and not very comfortable, but that's the way they did it. But anyways, as they're reclining down, uh, this woman, who's Gospel of John, says it was Mary. You know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it was Mary, comes in 
and, and pours this expensive perfume on Jesus' head. Which might be odd if you thought about that. You're having a party somewhere, comes and dumps perfume on someone's head. But um, the word very expensive is a little bit deceiving because I don't know what you think of when you think of expensive perfume, but I think of maybe like 50 bucks. I mean, I'm not a female, but maybe 100 bucks or something like that. But I went online and said, what's like expensive perfume? And, and like there are some like $800 for Jean Bateau or whatever. Now, to me, that's expensive perfume. $800, that's a lot. I mean, I just imagine someone taking a bottle of Jean Bateau and like dumping it on someone's head at a, at a party. I'd be like, whoa, that's a real waste. That's $800. But we're not talking $800 here. I mean, it just says very expensive. But John's gospel actually says this. It was worth a year's wage. Not just $800. I mean, we're maybe talking more in the class of Clive. Right? You can buy this bottle of perfume for 215 grand. I don't know who in the world would do that. But like, we're talking about a very expensive perfume. I don't know what your salary is for a year. I mean, 40,000, 50 or 80 or whatever. But just imagine you had a bottle of perfume that was your whole year's salary. And, and you like, give it to your girlfriend or wife. And, and they take it and dump it on someone's head. You'd be like, ah! I mean, that's what she does. I mean, it seems kind of odd. Now, why did she have this? doesn't say. I mean, maybe it was a, a family heirloom or it was her inheritance from her, her parents passing away. Maybe it was her dowry. We don't know, but she has it. And obviously it would have been very precious to them because pretty much all people in that day were, were extremely poor, but very expensive. And, and she just dumps it on Jesus' head. Now, why'd she do that? Uh, we don't know for sure, but um, it, it also says in Mark, because there's these stories in John and Mark, and Matthew are all the same stories. It adds that she broke the jar and poured perfume on his head. And uh, they would keep perfume in jars like this. And usually you would take a little bit of the perfume and you'd use it for very special occasions. So if you had like a big gathering at your house. You remember people didn't really shower or have baths too often back then. So if you had a big gathering in your little house, and remember we talked about they had animals in their house usually. Houses didn't smell very good and people didn't smell very good. So if you wanted to have a fun party you would get out your perfume and you would put a little bit on all the guests who came in and then it would actually be more of a party because it smelled good, right? And, uh, but she doesn't do that. She doesn't take a little bit. She breaks the top off, meaning she's going to dump the whole thing. In other words, she's not going to save any of it. I mean, she could have given Jesus a little bit, but her whole life savings, a year's salary, just dumps on Jesus' head. And it may be that she was, uh, in a sense, doing this act of devotion, anointing Jesus as the king of Israel, Messiah. People were beginning to learn that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, the one. And, and all throughout the scriptures, you see that people, when they were going to anoint someone as king, they often dumped oil or perfume on someone's head. And 2 Kings says this, for example, Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared... This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anoint you king over the Lord's people of Israel. So maybe Mary had this in mind, that she was anointing Jesus as, as the king of Israel and who he really was. Uh, John's gospel says this, that Mary took about a pint of pure nard, uh, an expensive perfume, and it says she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped uh, his hair with, uh, his feet, sorry, with her hair, 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. And so John's gospel doesn't mention anything about the head, but says that she uh, poured it on his feet. And it's probably both, because Jesus will say that Mary anointed my body, not just my head or my feet, but she probably anointed his whole body with this, with this amazing, expensive perfume. And this was a very uh, vulnerable and almost dangerous, risky thing she just did because, I mean, again, she just took a whole year's worth of savings and dumped it on Jesus' head and in his body and feet, which is pretty crazy. But she takes her hair down. And in that culture, you didn't do that in public. The only time you would actually take your hair down was if you're like a prostitute out on the street or if you were with your own family in your house. Your kids, your husband, your wife are hanging around or, you know, really close relatives. You take your hair down, but not like in a public gathering like dinner like this. She's being very vulnerable. And it has nothing to do with like sexual connotations, but she's just saying, Jesus, your, your family or I, I just want to be all that I am. I, I want to give to you and just honor you in this devotion that's financial, that's 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 vulnerable, that's anointed him as king. And and she becomes a beautiful picture of worship. Uh, worship in the sense that all that I am, I, I give to you my time, my money, my energy. It is all yours Jesus, as, as the Bible says that we are to, to give our bodies as a living sacrifice over to God. And it's a beautiful picture because if she anointed him as Messiah, it is saying, Jesus, you're my king. You're my leader. And this is a part of our worship, too, that we just proclaim him as Lord and leader because he is perfect and he is good. And we be vulnerable. Uh, and some of you aren't vulnerable before God. You try to hide who you are before God. You try to keep your hair up and, you know, all nightly you know, tucked together because I'm going to see God. I mean, he knows your junk. He, he knows your mess. Uh, he knows your thoughts before you think them. And, and the best thing you can do is just, just open up to Jesus and say, here's who I really am. I'm going to let my hair down and just, and just love you. And here's where I mess up and screw up. And here's where I should be better, but I'm not. And, and that's when Jesus really begins to do some beautiful work in you. When you learn to worship like this, and, and as this house was filled with this fragrant perfume, and man, when you have a heart like Mary, I tell you, it just fills the church, fills your house with this fragrance of beautiful, beautiful worship. She's a beautiful picture of what we need to be like. Now, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. They were ticked, we would say. Uh, why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. That's a good point, because I'd probably think the same thing. I mean, you can imagine if we were doing like a worship service here, and someone took their year's salary, and let's say they took their 80 grand or whatever up here, and they just like burnt it for Jesus. We'd be like, we could have bought our roof, or, uh, you know, we could have helped some poor. I mean, what? That's, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I mean, that's what they're thinking, <laughs> because... Mary takes this, which really could have, I mean, feed, fed a lot of poor people, which could have done amazing, could have funded their ministry or whatever. And, and, and so I can see their point. Like, this this is a bad thing. Why? And they, they begin to criticize Mary. And, uh, and this brings up a similar story. There's another story where someone was really trying to worship uh, God with his whole heart and receive criticism, as Mary did. And, and you know the story from 2 Samuel. It says, D David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. This is King David, who is supposed to be the king, and, you know, all together because he's the king. Uh, he's dancing like crazy before the Lord with all his might, while the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts 
and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. This is, this is uh, uh, David's wife. And when she saw the King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And when David returned home to bless his household, his wife came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. And just as Mary let down her hair to be vulnerable in front of Jesus, David stripped off his king clothes and just danced around in his, and it would, would have been kind of like a dress thing that guys wore back then. And, and it's like, you don't do those kind of things. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his household when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death, that God actually judged her because she was judging David and how he looked at, uh, or, or Michael and how he looked out and, and criticized David's worship. And these, here's these disciples as well, criticizing Mary and the way she was worshiping Jesus. And, and, and man, we can do the same thing. I mean, why is that person worshiping like that? I mean, that's a little undignified. Or, you know, like they should be worshiping more like me because I'm really doing it and they're not. Or, I mean, we need to be so very careful about criticizing others and their devotion to Jesus. I mean, if someone is loving Jesus from their heart, be very careful to say, well, what they're doing is wrong, or, or maybe you hear someone else praying, well, I don't pray that way. I mean, if they're, if they're pouring out their heart to Jesus, man, God loves that, because he looks at the heart. I mean, we're so concerned about the outward and how we look and how I sound. I mean, Jesus is looking at your heart. And just as God stood up for uh, David, even though he was exposing himself and being vulnerable and, and being undignified and, and humiliating himself in front of other people, so too Jesus sticks up for uh, Mary. He says, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. So while these disciples are criticizing Mary and how she was worshiping, how dare you let your hair down and how dare you pour out perfume, how dare you worship like that, Jesus does not come with the disciples and say, yep, Mary, you, you're a mess. You shouldn't have done that. That was really dumb. What she did was a beautiful thing. And this is the second time, by the way, that Jesus actually has stood up to Mary. There's another story where uh, Mary was criticized and Jesus stood up for her. You might remember this story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. This is the same Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. And that, that was not really appropriate because the, in that day, the gals had to be in the kitchen. The men would be doing their little teaching, and it was not the place for a woman. But there she is. Uh, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, that's Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me, which seems a real practical thing to do. Lunch needs to be made. There's, the house needs to be cleaned. Mary's just sitting there at your feet. Jesus, tell her to come and help me because that's what women do, right? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So again, we see this heart that Mary had for Jesus. This heart of worship and dedication and devotion and, and people who would come along with their practical expectations and their practical thinking, this is the way we do things around here. And, 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 and Jesus says, no, uh, she's honoring me with her heart and that is the most important thing. And it is so, I mean, we live in a practical world. That's why some of us have a hard time connecting to Jesus because we're just like, I gotta be practical with my time and, the, and just to sit in front of the presence of Jesus and worship him or just to open my Bible and pray and just to listen. That doesn't seem practical. It's actually the most practical thing you can do. I mean, only one thing is needed, Jesus says, and that, that is to sit at my feet. That is to be someone who comes and takes your perfume and dumps it on my head and my body and my feet and is vulnerable before me. That is the heart of worship that we need to continue to develop. And then Jesus says this, because it might be a valid point. I mean, you dumped all that perfume. It could have been sold to the poor. That seems like a really good thing because Jesus cared for the poor more than we, we could ever imagine. And so he gives a little teaching moment. He says, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Surely I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And, and it's true, her story is found in three Gospels out of four. Uh, the end of John, if you've ever read it, says, Jesus did so many things that the whole world could be filled with books of stories. I mean, there are so many stories that didn't get in here that, that Jesus would have done, and people he would have healed and touched, and people who would have come to Jesus, but this one does. I mean, there's something about the story, there's something about Mary's heart that was so key that Jesus said she will never be forgotten, and she won't, because she's in three of the Gospels. I mean, there's something beautiful about that kind of heart that we need to develop, this heart where we proclaim Jesus as king, where we are vulnerable and open to Jesus, and, and, and we're just loving him with everything we, we are. So what about this? The poor you always have with me, uh, but you will not always have me. I mean, uh, some people use this as an excuse and wrongly. Well, I never give to the poor because we'll just always have the poor. You know, I just give here. Or, you know, I don't, the poor doesn't matter. It's only I help one person. There's so many poor. Not, some people have wrongly used this text. Uh, so what is Jesus saying here? And there are basically kind of three sort of opinions. Uh, one will say that Jesus is no longer physically here, so we don't need to repeat this. In other words, they would say you shouldn't do this kind of thing again. You shouldn't take your life savings and come up here and just burn it for Jesus uh, because you're not actually helping someone physically. They would say Jesus was physically there, and so she was physically dumping perfume on her, preparing him for his burial because that's what they did. When uh, someone would die, they would perfume their, their bodies again because, I mean, they would sit in the tomb for days mourning a lost loved one. And, of course, that body would begin to decay, and so they would want it to smell nice, and so they would pour perfume. And, 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 and Jesus says that, that she did this even before it happened. And, and so they would say, well, that was just a specific period, a specific time when Jesus was actually here. Jesus isn't physically here. So when we give, we give to the poor. We give to the kingdom. In fact, we know the teaching of Jesus that says when we give to the poor, we're actually given to Jesus. In Matthew 25, then the righteous will answer him lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king, Jesus, will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. That when we serve the poor, when we see our, our, our brothers and sisters, that we're actually serving Jesus. And so when we're dumping our perfume on, on, on a poor person, we're dumping it, in a sense, on Jesus. And so that's kind of opinion one. Others will say, well, maybe there's a time and place for this, because we see this kind of devotion in the Bible in other places, like Hezekiah, king of Judah. He says, if he provided a thousand bulls, 7,000 sheep, and goats for the assemblies, this would be like just a burnt offering to God in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, we, we don't do that anymore. Uh, and the officials provided them with a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep and goats. And yeah, all those things could have been sold and really helped the poor. But they, they used it in this, this dedication to God. And so they say, well, there may be a time when you, uh, you do something that's just all about Jesus. And it's not actually about helping anybody or really helping the kingdom. It's just about Jesus. And they say, maybe there's a time for that. The other opinion is just uh, vague. Uh, we need to discern God's leading. That we give where, where God is leading you. And you don't just come up here and burn your life savings if just because you want to show off to other people. What, what is God leading me to do? But either way, we must be people who, who care for the poor incredibly. And this is the heart of the gospel, the heart of the, the Jesus, the heart of loving one another, is to have a deep care. And we provide, and that's why we have the food bank, and we do craft dinner, and, and we, have, we just try to help the poor as much as we can. All right, we're almost done. Verse 14, then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And Judas here betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, is willing to sell Jesus to the authorities. Now, why would he do that? He's been with Jesus three years in ministry with him, hanging out with him, seeing these miracles and healings and, and amazing teaching. I mean, you can't see any more of God than hanging out with Jesus. And yet he chooses to turn his back on Jesus. Uh, the main reason is, is, is probably financial. At least it's the one reason that the Bible gives us. Other people would say that maybe he was frustrated because Jesus didn't turn out to be the, the Roman conquering Messiah. He turned out to be the suffering Messiah. But the Bible says it was for financial reasons. Uh, for instance, when Mary poured that perfume on the, um, on the head of Jesus, it was actually Judas who instigated the, 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 the anger of the disciples. It says, Judas, Judas did not say this. That is, Mary, what have you done? That was horrible what you did. Because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so the whole time as Judas is hanging out with Jesus, he's stealing out of the offering. Now, I always like, well, why didn't they do anything? Why didn't they say? Why didn't they fire him as a disciple? We don't know, but, but somehow they knew about it, and, and he was stealing money because he was a thief. And maybe, I don't know if he was so desperate for money, or, or uh, probably just the, the God of money had such a grip on his heart that he thought, Maybe there's an opportunity to get some extra money by handing Jesus over. So that's what he does. And there's a contrast. And this is why Matthew puts it here. There's a contrast between Mary's heart and the heart of Judas. 
that Mary was willing to give her life savings, her, her all, a, a year's salary, just to devote it to Jesus. Judas, on the other hand, for 30 pieces of silver, that's like one month's salary, he gives up on Jesus and betrays Jesus. And, and money sometimes can do that. Money can have such a grip on people, even, even devoted followers like us, or people who have been hanging around uh, Jesus, like Judas. And mon- money can subtly pull people away from Jesus. And the Bible actually warns us of this. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, like Judas, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And this is the love of money. And this is not about rich people and poor people, because poor people can love money just as much as rich people. They just don't have the money they want, right? I mean, this is not about, I mean, God honors rich people, God honors poor people, but when you have a heart that lusts after money, it doesn't matter how close you are to Jesus. You can be with Judas, like Judas, hanging around Jesus for three years and enjoying all that he has, but money can pull you away. And it says, even some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs because of money. That desire for money or the pride in your money and, and not wanting to give or, or that, that I don't, because I got this money, I don't want to give it or, or just, you know, I'm not going to help the poor or whatever it might be. Money can be dangerous. And we always need to make sure that l- money is not our Lord, but Jesus is our Lord. And it's through our life with Jesus that we just devote ourselves, our money, our finances, our time, our energy, that it's all Jesus in the first place. And he wants us to love people and love our families and, and to bless others with all that we have. And so let's have a heart like Mary. And I just want, I'm not much of a poem guy, but I found a poem and I can finish with a poem. Well, I've never done this before, but I liked it. <coughs> what Jesus means to me, because it kind of reveals the heart of Mary. Let me tell you all of the ground on which I stand. See my carpenter in heaven. Don't build on sinking sand. He is placed as my foundation, a rock beneath my feet. His walls of faith surround me that no storm can defeat. He's my joy when I awake. He's my peace when I lay down. He's the golden tassel from my robe. He's the rubies on my crown. He's my very breath of life, my reason which to live. He empowers my every weakness with the strength he has to give. He's the love I never knew of. He's the friend I never had. He calms me when I lose control. He brings joy when I'm sad. He corrects me when I disobey and gently puts me in my place. He's the twinkle dancing in my eyes. He's the smile upon my face. He's my motive, my soul inspiration, the spark that ignites my fire. He's my fragrance, sweet and lovely. He's my only heart's desire. He's the only rock I'll stand on. I cannot be enticed. He's my hope and my salvation. He's my Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we close. Father, I thank you for being that rock which we can stand on. God, as we uh, walk throughout life and, and the messiness of life and the rocky uh, trembling of right and just the problems we have in life, God, I thank you that you are firm ground. God, that in you we can find peace. 
that in you we can find strength. In you we can find joy. In you, God, we can find transformation. And God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you walk with us, that you are Emmanuel, that you are with us, that you do not leave us nor forsake us. And God, I just pray encouragement upon every person in this room. God, I pray for faith and blessing and power and goodness. Uh, God, that we would be people who love you truly and love each other deeply. And so would you go with us in power. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you need prayer, uh, please come forward for prayer. I mean, uh, God's doing neat things through prayer here in this church. And uh, maybe uh, God wants to touch you today. And so uh, Deanna's going to be up here. And uh, Marie and Crystal will be up here. And Curtis and Terry, yeah, be up here. If you need prayer, please come forward. Otherwise, uh, God bless you and have a great week. Amen.